0: listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. He's still risen. Thank you, Ben. I wondered if y'all would forget what we do when we say that. That would be, he's still risen indeed. I know, that was a lot to put on you right there on the spur of the month. He is still risen, you know. We, we, it's not just a one-week thing, right? I mean, it's, it's every day he's still risen from now until eternity. He's still risen. And then one day, he's coming back. And he is going to come when his father says, Son, go get your bride. That's how we believe that that's going to transpire. Uh, Go get your bride and he's going to come back and he's going to bring those who are, are in him, those who have by faith placed their faith in him and those who have had their sins forgiven by by uh, the salvation that is provided only by faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus is going to bring them to be with him. And, and the scripture says that there's something that's going to happen there. It's going to be what I think might quite possibly be the most awesome event in all of human history. And that is that those that have died and gone on, the dead in Christ, are going to rise. And I don't know what that's going to look like, uh, but I just imagine it's going To put Avengers Endgame to shame, that it is absolutely going to be the most epic thing that human eyes have ever seen to see those dead in Christ go to be with Him. And whatever that's going to look and sound like, uh, I'm just excited that I get to be a part according to what Scripture says. Now, We've got a long way to go, and, and this is a tricky passage in the book of James. we got this time together in the book of James, and then one more time, and we'll be done with the book of James. And I hope it's been helpful. I hope it's been encouraging. It's been very practical. And if you've just kind of come in with us in the middle of it, that's not a problem. If you go online to oasischurchwh.org, then you can click on the podcast link at the top right-hand corner, and you can listen to everything and, and, and catch up on any thing that you've missed. I would encourage you to do that because James is one of the most practical books, if not the most practical in all of the New Testament. It's got, it's got absolute uh, uh, instruction for us in this time, even though it was written in the first century. So I would encourage you to go back and catch up. Today we come to a tricky passage. But just to kind of briefly catch you up, the book of James addresses Christians who are in this life facing trials of various kinds. James is writing, yes, to Jewish Christians. And yes, James is writing to Jewish Christians living in Roman occupied uh, existence in the first century. They had unique things that they were facing, but the bottom line is that James says you're going to face fi- trials of varying kinds. And that is true for us in 2019 as well. Even in America, where things really go quite smoothly. I mean, even the things things that we consider as just overwhelming to us if you consider the rest of the population of the world i mean we really are whining about the flavor of our ice cream and not whether or not our water has bacteria enough to kill us right so i mean we've got it good nevertheless we do face trials even in this arena where we have it good and james talks a lot about how we are to as followers of jesus embrace, if you will, these trials. And he basically breaks it down in what I think is four components. At least this is what I see in the letter that James wrote to the believers that were scattered abroad. I see James saying, first of all, embrace your trials with joy. That makes no sense whatsoever. That's saying that we should embrace things that are difficult with happiness and excitement even though they're causing us pain. And James would say, that's exactly what I'm saying. And why? Because we know that God is using those trials not to hurt us, not to keep us down, but rather God is using the varying trials and they could be all across the spectrum. God is using these things in order to build and mold and strengthen our faith and what you'll discover is when you go through varying trials and you learn how to lean on God by faith and watch him use those you would think that those trials would become less in your life but actually when God builds you up to where you can hold more he'll put more weights if you will on the ends of those barbells that you can push up even more because that's the point right we We push up so that we can get stronger, so that we can push up more. And that's quite frankly, the evidence of the new Testament that we get. Those that were the closest to God, the closest to him by faith seem to go through the more and more difficult trials and who showed up in their life when they endured. Jesus Christ did. And they reflected him as they went through trials. And so James says, when you face varying difficulties that come into your life, embrace them with joy. That's probably the first chapter of the book of James and then the meat of the book of James from chapter two all the way through the first few verses of chapter five it seems to me like James is saying that we're to embrace these trials with obedience and there are some things that he highlighted that that were that were came that came pretty natural to the followers of Jesus and they would face a trial and they would react in a certain way and James would go don't do that rather do this. And I would encourage you to go back and listen to those Do this instructions that James gives us because it's just right where we live, even though we weren't living there in the first century. I think James is saying that we need to face the trials and everything that comes around with it with obedience so that we might walk like Jesus and talk like Jesus and respond like he did to those very self-same kind of trials. Then I see what he comes to in uh, the couple of weeks ago that we mentioned Ending in the middle of of chapter number five, it seems that James turns a direction and says, now you're embracing trials with joy. You're addressing and embracing trials with obedience. Now I want to encourage you brothers to embrace trials with patience. Be patient, and he give us a few examples of folks who in the scripture endured trials of varying kinds and had to endure them patiently. You go, how am I supposed to do that? By being obedient to the things that he's already instructed us to do in the chapters beforehand, then we can with patience lean on the power and strength that God wants to give us in these difficulties while we watch God grow our faith. I think we come into the last little section of how we're to embrace trials today, and I want to begin reading. If you've got your Bibles, we're in James chapter number five. We're going to pick up with verse number 13. We're going to go through verse number 18. You don't have you version today, those of you who are looking, so you'll have to follow the screen or your Bible or your device. Here's what these verses say. James says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord earth and then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your word and we ask that you will give us the ability to communicate it as accurately as humanly possible for your glory and then give us the courage to put to practice what you have called us to today. For us, in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... What was the most frequently used word in that section? Anybody want to tell me? What? Prayer. Pray. So, from the get-go, from the start of this little look at this section, what do you think that the point of this section is? Prayer. Prayer. So... I think what James is showing us is that we're to embrace... Difficulties and trials that God is using to build us as followers of Jesus. We're to embrace them with joy. That makes no sense. But I'm going to do it anyway because he's called me to and I know what God's doing. And I'm going embrace it, to embrace it with obedience. And I'm going to look at the instructions and I'm going to recognize the way I normally react to things. And I'm going to learn to react differently. To respond differently in obedience. And then as this thing is going and, and things come at me faster than I can process... I'm going to do all I can do to lean on him so that I might embrace these trials with patience. That seems like it's going to be impossible. But the more I exercise patience, the more I find myself being patient. And then lastly, I'm going to wrap all of this up and I'm going to embrace these trials and difficulties with prayer. Now, we've been going through this book since February the first week. So we've just really just, it's kind of like we've gone through the book with a walker, right? I mean, we've just kind of been slowly going through it. And we've been parking at different times and highlighting. When James wrote this book, when James wrote, if I could be more accurate, this letter... The people that received this letter picked it up and read it. How how many of you have have actually read the Book of James through, like, start to finish during this series? You just kind of just sat down and just kind of read it. You can read the whole letter of James in like less than five minutes if you're a if you're an average to to fast reader. So when we come to it today, and we think that we're finally getting to prayer, and we've been look, these folks read this letter. And they heard the words that James was communicating. And you know how that in a letter when you're writing to someone and and you really want to make the the thing impactful, you put it at the very beginning or you put it at the very end. You want it to be the first thing you see or you want to be the last thing you see. So I think what James is doing is he's telling them up front, look, you're in the middle of it and I get it and it's uncomfortable, but you got to see this thing with joy and it's not going to make sense, but if you'll just trust me, then you'll see God moving. And then the last thing I want you to see is that everything in between is going to have to be enveloped in prayer. Because if you try to do this apart from an intimate relationship with your Lord, you're never going to see it possible. Prayer, I think, is here at the end because it's the, it's the, the last smack that we get that wraps it all together. And you know what? Prayer is probably the single most neglected thing in the lives of followers of Jesus in this era especially in our culture you know why because we don't need God you go I can't believe you just said that they're recording this and you just oh I know we need God you know we need God but if you let your mind go to the book of Revelations, if you've ever read it, if you've ever heard, Jesus is communicating to the author there, John, to the seven churches that he wants to identify and he's speaking to. And that last church he identifies is the, the church of Laodicea. And he says, you guys think that you've got everything and you have need of nothing, yet you are lacking you're hungry, and you're naked, and you don't even know it. Church, that's us. We're lacking. We're floundering. We're fumbling and bumbling. And you know why? Because the single most neglected aspect in the life of the church today is prayer. So we're going to talk about this section and probably when we read through it, you heard some things that caused you to go, Ooh, that's interesting. I've heard that before. And we're going to do our best to try to highlight all we can. Here's, here's what I want to promise you. I want to promise you that there's no way that I can use kid gloves to navigate all of the different traditions and ways that you have been taught and believe, okay? There's no way for me to do that and 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 try not to offend anyone. Can I just tell you up front, we're going to go through this passage and we're going to talk about prayer. And everything else, I'm going to do my best to tell you what, what I think James is talking about. My intention is not to offend. So if you give me a little bit of grace and just understand that I don't know everything about anything, and I'm going to do my best to try to communicate this as best I can. Does that makes sense? the deal? So I'm going, to be, I'm going to be kind and y'all be gracious. All right, let's jump in here. Here's where's what I see in this passage. I see James identifying three arenas of prayer, if you will. It, it seems to me like James is highlighting the necessity of my prayer, The prayer, I pray for me because I need it. I'm coming to God with my voice for my situation. This is my prayer. And then it seems that he moves to what I'm going to call their prayer. This is this is prayer that someone else is engaging for me because I find myself incapable of coming and doing what, what I know needs to be done in my communication, my walk with God. I find myself in need of help. So it's their prayer. And then lastly, I see James talking about our prayer. It's what we're all committing and intentionally doing together for the benefit of all of us so that we might all accomplish everything that God has uh, is teaching us through this book. So my prayer, their prayer, our prayer. First, verse number 13. This is my prayer, rain or shine. Look what the verse says. Verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? This word suffering, it it probably has to do with the suffering that comes by the activity of other folks or other entities. This is probably not, I know you've heard him say sickness. This suffering is more of a general broad term that has to do with those things that I'm experiencing because I am a follower of Jesus Christ. In this time, they experienced things That were incredibly difficult if, if for no other reason than that they did not worship the emperor of Rome. They would find themselves on the, on the losing end of the Roman spectrum. And as Jews following the crucified Jesus of Nazareth, expressing their belief in his resurrection, they were against even their own people and their own traditions religiously there. So there were all types of trials and suffering that they would experience. Let's don't think about these sufferings necessarily as the tire that went flat at work now it could be that that is a trial of various kind but let's please don't look at suffering to be the sunburn we got spending the weekend at the beach that hurts so bad on Monday morning. I know that is suffering and God can use it, but let's please don't put that in this passage because I think James is talking about if you're suffering for your faith, you know what you need to do? You need to pray. And you go, what a cliche. What's, what is that? That's that? We always say. We just need to pray more. We just need to pray. I'll be praying. For, and I know it becomes normal and routine. You know why? Because we don't really need God and we've not learned how to fervently pray because we need him. But we do. Because we've been in times when we didn't know what else to do but pray. God says, rain or shine, Pray what's our most common response to suffering complaint grumbling blame retaliation and to quit that's what our typical response is to suffering and what does god say do look when you're hurting that's when you need to turn to me that's when you need to turn around and say father this hurts we know about the rain now because when it rains is when we are most likely to pray here's what we don't really get is anyone verse 13 cheerful when it's shining when it's shining we tend to be joyous and go on with our day making our path and doing what we do When it's shine, because we're excited that we're not suffering. James, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, because God wants us to realize this, is yes, when it's raining, when we're hurting, especially when we're suffering because we've put the things in between this and embracing it with joy to work and we're beginning to experience the ramifications of what it's like to follow Jesus, yes, we are to pray in those times. And when we're not suffering, which is about 99.9% of the time for us in America, as christians you know what we need to be doing we need to be praying what does he say he says let him praise you realize that praise and prayer are the same thing it's just the context of what you're saying to god you know i had to come to the realization that i spend very little time actually measurably praising the lord that's just the reality of where I live. And, and while I may be thinking it and allowing myself to check off the box that I'm praying without ceasing because I'm thinking about it, I spend very little time verbally praising him. And that's to y'all. I spend a fraction of that time coming to him in praise. Praise. When I come to God in prayer, what do I normally have with me, beside me? A list. In fact, on my phone, in my iNotes, I've got a list that I can pull up when it's time to pray. Because when I pray, I ask God to do stuff. And you know what? God's already said, I want you to ask me to do stuff. But when stuff is good meaning you're not suffering what i want to hear is your praise how many times have we ever spent time with god just telling him what we think about him just talking to him about how good he is you go well i'm not going to say anything he's never heard before i get it does that mean you don't want to hear your spouse say it does that mean you don't want to hear your kids say it? If you, if, I don't know how many of you are this way, but I'm a, I'm a words of affirmation person. That's, that's what I am. That's how I, got, I like it. I don't care if I've heard it before. I like to hear it again. Right? You like that, some of you? God wants, he, he not in a sinful way, he, it's, no, it's not coveting. He, he earnestly desires the praises of his people. Because he loves us and he wants us to love him in that way. Where are you at today, church? Rain or shine? Maybe it's rain for you. Maybe it's rain. And maybe it's raining like it's never rained before. What are you to do? Pray. Call on the one who knows you and knows the situation and knows how he's using the situation to make you look more like Jesus. Pray. But church, if it's going good, and let's just be honest, we all had a pretty good morning, and we're sitting in air conditioning that That probably a larger number of the population wish it wasn't on so much right now let 's praise and let's work praise into our life first peter five seven cast all your cares on him, why? because he cares for you when it's hurting hebrews four sixteen Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive what? Mercy and find grace in the time of need. When it's hurt, go to him. Rain or shine. Here's a a beware though. Beware of the trap of expecting God to do for you what you want him to do, how you want him to do it beware of that when you pray and really don't let that infiltrate the next section so we're leaving easy waters we just we just came across the lake and that was easy now we're about to jump in the river okay so let's get in the boat let's get in the raft put on our our life preserver so that if we fall out of the of the boat into the river we'll float and not sink not my prayer Their prayer. Here's what he says. Verse number 14 and 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. My prayer is rain or shine, but most often it's shine and we got to get our praise lips going. But now we're talking about their prayer. Why their prayer? Because there are times when I just can't. Isn't that a a meme statement right now? You see that on social media, all these pictures, these folks laid out and and the meme goes, because I just can't. And we've been there when we just can't. What makes this passage tricky is language and context. You go, well, is there anything else involved in this passage? No, because you've got to have language for us to read it, and there's got to be context for us to understand it. And both of them are a little confusing. The language that James uses kind of run sideways to the context of this passage. So I'm going to do my best to try to wade through this together, if you will. Sick. Is anyone among you sick? James uses a word here that is split right down the middle. Half of the time in the New Testament, it is used to describe someone who is physically ill. But this is not a physical illness like a cold or a virus or something of that nature. This is typically used when it's talking about an illness as a debilitating illness. Something that has come on me that has taken away my ability to do what I was doing before. That's how it's used half of the time in the New Testament. And most of those times are used in the Gospels. In the epistles, however, and most of these are used by Paul, in the epistles, this word is used to describe weakness. So this is someone who during or because of certain things in their life have become weak, and the notion is that of spiritual weakness, now in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5 verse number 14 Paul mentions to the brothers who are serving in leadership he says we urge you brothers admonish the idle encourage the faint hearted help the weak be patient with them all now that is in a nutshell the care aspect of pastoral ministry That's what he's saying. I want you as brothers, as leaders, admonish the idol. Are you sitting on the fringes? Listen, what God has called me to do is if I see you sitting out there on the fringes with just your feet in and you're just kind of one foot in, one foot out, I'm supposed to come along and admonish you. You know what, you know what a a cowboy does to admonish a steer to get back into the uh, flow? He's got one of them little buzz sticks and he comes alongside and he pokes that thing in the butt of that cow and they get zapped. But you know what they do? They get going. So I've ordered on Amazon a buzz stick. No, I'm just kidding. Wouldn't that be fun though? Oh yeah. Anyway, well fun for me. So admonish, this is what you do. Admonish them, encourage them, help them because they've fallen into a state of weakness. What some interpreters of this text want to do it's take James to mean that this is totally talking about those who are physically sick. Others, however, want to say what James is talking about here is those that are spiritually weak. And can I tell you where I landed? Right here, because you can't land without feeling tension on either one of these. But I think if we just keep in mind what's the point here prayer what's the circumstance I can't I think we will miss the point if we get too fixated on who it is and forget the circumstance sickness is used both ways in Mark chapter number 6 verse 13 we've got this other account where the writer says that they, talking about the the apostles, the, the disciples, while Jesus was on this earth, they went and cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Okay, well, here we go again. Now there's oil and sickness and healing. But then in the epistles, there's admonishing and encouraging and pressing those that are weak. So what is James talking about? Well, let's keep going. Is anyone among you sick? Either way, the person is in a place where their ability to exercise my prayer because I recognize I need it, that person is in a place where they just can't. Maybe they're in a place physically where they just They just can't do it. They don't have the strength and they need someone to come alongside them. Maybe they're so steeped in their, in in the results of their, of their not walking tightly with God that they're just so spiritually weak. They're just like, I don't even know how to pray anymore. I don't even know what to say. I just can't. Well, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to call for the elders of the church. The leadership, those that are responsible for leading. Now in our church, we have elders and trustees and we have ministry leaders. Don't get, Mike and I, Mike Moore and I are, are designated as, as technically elders. Don't get caught up in the, in the semantics of that word. Because on our leadership team are several other guys who are serving in the role of trustee. Eugene Roberts and John Aldrich and Mike, uh, Mike Shannon and Chad, uh, Chad Greer. And we've got Michael serving as, as children's ministry pastor. And we've got others that are around that are completely capable and are helping us do. The idea is to call on those folks that are leading you and have been charged with leading you and call them to help you when you just can't. Now I gotta be honest with you. This is a, a tough area. When it talks about pastoral care, can I just tell you something up front? This is hard for me. When it comes to sickness... And when it comes to knowing when to go see and how long to stay and do I go to the hospital with this one who's going to be laying there naked in a gown and not really want me there, but probably there. Knowing how to do all of that is not my strength. And I'm going to keep moving before some of y'all go, amen. It's not, that's just not a strength of mine, but it is something that I want to be able to do. This is something that's not my responsibility. This is not me recognizing that you're sick and coming to pray over you. This is you realizing that you just can't, but you need and it's your call. This is something that I might not even be able to know. I might not be able to know that physically, you're just in a place where you just don't feel like you can because you can't get beyond this physical thing. Or spiritually, I might not know that you're out there floundering, just wishing somebody. And this is where James goes, you gotta pick up that phone or you got to get on that text or you got to shoot out that email that says, Pastor Kevin, could you and some of the men please come pray for me? Because I need something from God and I just can't. And I need you. He says that we are to come and to pray over him or her, anointing them with oil. What is this oil? I'll tell you what it's not, it's not a magic potion. There's nothing supernatural about that oil or any oil that they had in this time. It is true that oil was used as a medicinal rub. My mama's got some stuff at, at the house, and it's in this jar, and it's called red oil. You know why? Because it is red in color and it is oil. And I'm telling you, I don't know what's in that stuff, but if you get a cut, you get a burn, you get something, she's going to say, well, let me go get the red oil. I'm telling you folks, that stuff works. She rubs that in, it stops hurting. Now it doesn't supernaturally close up, but it sure does help. My great aunt, when I used to get sunburns, we go to the lake and I'd complain and I'd be walking around like this because it just hurt to move my back. You know what she'd do? She'd go get Listerine, listen to me. She'd get Listerine and put it in her hands and she would rub that list. and you know what it would do? It would suck that heat out. And I'd be like, so, whoo, Janelle, that is good. And she'd rub that stuff on as a, as a soothing ointment. I think what James is talking about is when that person, and we could go in a dozen other directions, we don't have time. I think what James is saying is, is when we come to pray for you, that we need to bring any comforting elements that we might have so that we might be a blessing to the one who is hurting. Not just come in with pomp and circumstance, coming in to bring the spirituality to your home. That's not what we're supposed to do. I think we're supposed to come with soothing elements. And in this time, that was very common for them to anoint. Now this word anoint, it actually means to rub on, to rub in. There's another word that could be used. If we were talking about a, 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 a setting apart, like when they, would, when they would anoint someone to a role or a, a service in particular, there's another word that would be used. This one just means to rub in. I think what James is coming in is come in with tools of comfort. Maybe that's a gallon of sweet tea and a chicken casserole in our context. I'm not saying that we replace that with the text. I'm just saying I think what James is saying is in your time, the comforting elements was the oil. And you know what? If you just can't and you call me to bring some folks to pray with you and you say, Pastor Kevin, will you bring and anoint me with oil? I absolutely will do that. You just got to tell me whether you want essential or olive or vegetable or 10W30. You got to tell me what you want. That was incredibly insensitive, wasn't it? But it was funny. Seriously. You got to, if that, look, if that ministers to you, you better believe we'll bring, and we'll take and we'll hold your hand. We'll rub that in, we'll rub it on your forehead and you know what we'll do? We'll pray. Because if that, if that element will help you, if that element will remind you that God is present with you, even when you can't, you better believe we'll bring it. Because that's our role. Because this is a trial that you're overwhelmed by. Physically, maybe. Spiritually, yeah, maybe. Either way, You need help. And we're on our way. We're going to do what? We're going to pray. We're going to anoint in the name of the Lord. You know why? Because that's the only one who brings relief. That's the only one who can bring you out of the I just can't into, oh, yes, I have you. And and we're going to pray. Look. I believe in faith healing. I do not believe in faith healers. I just don't. Now, that doesn't mean that that folks haven't been healed, and that doesn't mean that, that God cannot do whatever in the world that God wants to do. I just don't think this passage right here is talking about those who have been given a gift to heal I don't think that's what, but there are a lot that will base that idea on this text. This is talking to folks who are in tune with God coming to pray over and encourage those who are out of tune for whatever reason this word sick means. We're gonna pray in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. The prayer of faith. Again, I don't think that this falls into the you come forward and if you have the faith that God will heal you in this service during this time, I just simply don't find that there. Not only that, that has a notion of putting God on the hook to do what you said to do. And I just gotta tell you, I get real Uncomfortable with that kind of thing because God never promised to do anything that I tell him to do. And God also never promised to do what I want him to do, regardless of how much faith I might have that he should. But here's what I do believe I do believe that when we come together and our faith and encouragement connects with your beginning to rebirth faith because you just can't but now we're here and we're circled around and we're bringing encouragement and we're bringing faith and we're bringing a a notion that God can and all of a sudden you're beginning to say well you know what now I believe we can let's pray and we begin to pray in the name of the Lord and what are we doing when we're praying in the name of the Lord we're saying God you know what to do you know what is best you know why this trial is affecting this one now we want you to do what you intend to do in this person through this trial by your grace and for your glory now God we want you to heal them we believe you can we believe you can take away what the doctors say will never go away God we believe you can restore you can raise up God you can do miraculous things because your son did it time and time and time again but at the end of the day Lord you know what's best We're not telling you what to do. We're just saying we believe you can. And you know what God says he'll do? He will raise them up. Now, follow me. Follow this logic. If this passage is talking about physical healing only, we've just put God on a pretty big hook that says if we come and we pray and we pour out our hearts, that he's got to raise them up or our faith is deficient. That bothers me a bit. But if we come to the one who may be physically sick, but spiritually have become weak, and we pray and they pray, And we believe and they believe. You know what I believe God will always do is raise the heart of the one who just can't even if he doesn't change the circumstances that got him there. That's what I think. So I'm not saying it couldn't be sickness. I'm just saying I think this context leads us to believe that God is raising the heart of the one Because guess what now they're all of a sudden capable of doing in their suffering? Pray. Make sense? That's kind of where I'm landing. The prayer of faith will raise them up. It'll rescue. It'll save. It'll restore the one who is overwhelmed. Now, lack of faith, we've already learned in this book. Lack of faith will limit God doing what God will do. Let's just, for instance, James chapter number one, verses six and seven. When, when, when James says, if you lack wisdom in your trial, just ask God. God wants to give you a big heaping portion of wisdom if you'll ask, but ask in faith without doubting. The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. So when we come in prayer and faith, we got to come without doubting. If we don't think God's going to, look, I'm, I just can't, I just, you know, I appreciate y'all coming and praying and I'm counting on y'all to raise me up. Now, if you don't have the faith that God can do and through their encouragement, then don't expect God to do and expect you to remain in that, that, uh, that, that quagmire, if you will, of weakness. James also says in uh, chapter four, verse two, you don't have, why? Because you don't Ask, that's the latter part of verse two. And you ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So there is this idea of faith connected to God doing what he's willing to do if we'll simply trust him and submit to him. Mark chapter six, verse five said that even in Jesus' hometown, he could do no mighty work there except that he laid the hands on a few sick people and healed them. And the verse to follow that I don't have on the, on the thing is because they didn't believe. The reason he couldn't do those things in his hometown was because they didn't believe. Did that mean God couldn't do it? Did that mean Jesus couldn't bring about those works? No, it meant they didn't believe he could, and so, therefore, he didn't. When are we to pray? Rain or shine. I need to be praying. I need to be praising. But when I can't, when I'm in a place that I just can't, I need to pick up that phone And I need to call those that are called to lead me and ask them to please come encourage me and bring me to a place where I remember what God has said to me and for me. And then he says, and if he or she committed sins, he or she will be forgiven. Whoa, whoa, what what about sins? Well, let's think about this. Not all sickness and weakness is the result of personal sins. Yet every sickness and weakness is the result of sin in general. The disciples asked Jesus when he was coming to heal a blind man. They said, Jesus, this man blind because of his sin or his mom's sin or his dad's sin? Jesus said, this man's not blind because of sin. This man was born blind so that the folks around here might see me give sight to him who is blind. Because then they'll remember in the Old Testament that Messiah was going to be able to give sight to the blind. So it's unfortunate that he's been blind his whole life. But he's about to get sight and everybody who ever reads the scripture is going to hear about that. So it's for God's glory. Not about sin at the same time. Paul. In 1 Corinthians, when the church was getting together and having a big party with communion and stuffing their face with the elements and drinking up all the wine before everybody could get there, Paul goes, you know, you probably ought not be doing that because you're doing it and a bunch of y'all are sick and some of y'all are dead because of your wickedness. And that ought to cause us to go, okay, so while not all sickness is related to my sin, My sin can certainly bring about my sickness. And James says here, when we're praying for you because you can't and you recognize you can't because you did or you didn't, when you come before him in faith, believing, he'll not only raise you up, he'll forgive that sin like Peter who had blown it and yet jesus invited him right back in to his gang after the resurrection this caused me to think about that in mark it's in mark chapter number two where jesus is in a house and he's preaching and all of a sudden the roof elements in the house started peeling away and there was a bunch of guys up there you know what they were doing they were letting a buddy of theirs down the rope because they couldn't get in the house with him. It was so full and so packed, so they were letting him down by the rope. You know what Jesus, what the first thing Jesus said to this man when he looked at him? Anybody remember? That's exactly what he said. He said, your sins are forgiven you. Now, we're gonna step out of the text for a minute, okay? This is, this is, this is me. The text does not tell us that that lame man said, hey guys, could y'all help me go see Jesus? Text don't tell us that. But yesterday as I was just thinking about this passage, I thought, but doesn't that look exactly like what has happened right here? So in my imagination, I like to think, huh, you reckon that lame man said, I need to see Jesus. And maybe his motivation wasn't the walking." Because when they got there, Jesus spoke to his need. Your sins are forgiven. And you notice that that lame man didn't go, what are you kidding me? I came to get my legs back. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, well, y'all got a problem with that? Which would be easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or to get up and walk? Well, so y'all might believe, get up and walk. What God the Son was most intent about in his life was not his ability to walk and run. It was the condition of his heart. Now look, God does not want you to hurt. God does not want you to suffer. God does not want you to be incapable of doing what you want to do. But here's what God knows about all of our, our temporal circumstances. It's that they are temporary And they can be the very thing that gives us the ability to glorify him the most in this life. But there'll never be a day that God is not completely interested in the wholeness of your heart. And when Jesus comes, he's going to heal all the rest of that stuff too. So it ain't like God's forgot about it, but he certainly wants you here capable of embracing the things that come with joy and obedience and patience and prayer and when you just can't even when it's because of your own sin please to goodness give us a call because we're going to come and we're going to encourage and we're going to ask hard questions at times and then we're going to walk with you as you make it right with God if that's what needed and God will raise you up to meet him where you are and be whole in your heart even if he chooses not to heal your body can we move on from here good my prayer their prayer our prayer verse number 16 therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Because trials can beat us up and break us down, we need the support and the prayer of one another. And if sin has a weakening ability on me, If I make it a habit of dealing with sin with God, but bringing y'all in in my life, chances are great I'm not going to get three miles down the sin road because I've got you walking with me, hearing about my struggles and knowing about what's going on in my life so that you can help me. This is preventative maintenance, our prayer. It's what we're doing together so that we can stay in a place where rain or shine. I'm praying because we're praying and we're encouraging. it talks about confessing your sin to one another. Here's what you don't need to do. We don't need to have services of, of song and sermon and confession where you stand up and announce your sins to everybody in the. yard We're not ever going to do that. And I would also encourage you, if you ever sin against someone, please don't confess that first in your small group. Don't do that. Make it right with those that need to be made right with. But you know what? There's something healthy about having a circle of folks around you who you've given permission to know you and hold you accountable. But you know know what's going to require of you? Vulnerability. And all of the men just went, Ah, I'm not hearing about no vulnerability. Well, you know what you'll end up doing? Walking farther down the road of sin than you need to walk, and experiencing the weakness that God never wanted you to experience, and having to pick up that phone more often than you would prefer. Confess. Find some folks that you can have around you for mutual accountability. He says, "The prayer of a righteous confession one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed." The prayer of a righteous person has great power, and it's working. That righteous person is somebody who knows God by faith in Jesus and are walking with him. So many folks come to me and say, Pastor Kevin, I just need you to pray for me. Most of the time what they're saying is, Pastor Kevin, because pastor comes before your first name, we figure you probably have a uh, more standard hotline with God than we do. So if you'll pray for me, then I know it'll happen. Wrong, 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 wrong. I'm just like you. We do need to pray for one another. The righteous person is someone who's following Jesus, and you can see it. And and those are the kind of people you need to have around you. You know why? Because you need them to spur you on. You need them to draw you into that. You need them to hold you accountable, and they need you to be in their life as well. And you know what it says here? When you pray as a follower of Christ, following Christ, there is power there. How much power have we left on the table because we simply failed to pray? And he gives an example here, and we'll say this in closing. Chapter, uh, verse number 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah was one of the most popular prophets in Israel. He did the the miracles and he did the signs that everybody just thought was awesome. Elijah was very, very popular. And James goes, you know what? Elijah was just like you. Elijah had the same struggles and problems. He had the same temptations. Elijah had the same stuff going in his life that you got going in yours. But you know what happened in Elijah's life? He prayed and the rain stopped. Well, First Kings doesn't tell us that he prayed and the rain stopped, but apparently he did. It does tell us, though, that when the rain had been away for a period of time, that Elijah prayed and God brought the rain back. It also says in book of 1 Kings that, that when Elijah prayed over a dead child, he was raised from the dead. The Bible also says that when Elijah prayed on a mountaintop called Carmel against some prophets of Baal, that God rained down fire on a soaking wet altar and sucked it all up right in front of everybody. Because Elijah was so powerful, wrong. Because Elijah prayed. Now, follower of Jesus, you're going to face trials of varying kinds. Embrace those things with joy. Make sure you're being obedient. It's going to take patience. It's got to be on the back of prayer. Yours, theirs, ours. Ours. How do we apply this? Well, when you're in the middle of it, pray. Embrace God as he is active in building your faith. When you're in the middle of it, pray. When it's smooth sailing, pray. Enjoy the good times with him because of him and tell him. You realize it. When it's smooth sailing, pray. When you're physically or spiritually overwhelmed, call them, who? Your leaders. Call them to pray. Seek, trust, and submit to the God who will restore you and who is able to heal you if it's his will. Fourth one is the most difficult, but it's the thing I think we need the most. Take intentional measures. If you're hearing this, you need to take intentional. That means you need to do something like this. Establish your prayer circle. Who? Don't say my church. Don't say my spouse. Don't say my wife and my kids. Nah. You need other folks around you who realize they're just like you and you're just like them. Establish your prayer circle, then be vulnerable and accountable. Pray into them as they pray into you. Why? Preventative maintenance so that we might be capable of rain or shine. Continuing to pray. And then lastly, it's three words. And they're all the same. Pray, pray, pray. Church, we got a lot of work to do because we don't, don't, don't. But we can start brand new today. Brand new today, we can decide there's a power I've been missing. And it's because I ain't been activating the opportunity to pray. Let's stand together. <clears throat> Last week, Mike Moore came to me and said, Kevin, you know, I, I really, I don't know, something about the cross that was up on the, you know, it was up on the stage when we did uh, the. Communion on Good Friday. I was up on the, I was up on the big stage. On, I don't know. I just, I like having that. And he said to me last week, had no idea what we were going to be talking about. He said, you know, here's an idea. Let me t- tell me what you think. What if we kept the cross down and we put it off to the side, and we just had it out every week, just as a tangible, visible reminder? I go, I said, you know what, Mike, that's an awesome idea. He goes, no, no, there's more. He said, what if we let that place where the cross is at become a little area where folks can just, before service or after service, to just kind of get alone if they want to. We, he said we could set up some chairs. Chairs. We could set up some chairs and we could, you know, just have a little place where when things are over or th- before things start, just folks can just kind of come and have a place that they can just pray. And what if we had some prayer partners that would be there to pray with them if they needed prayer partners. He had no idea. That's what the, the, the point of this section was. When he brought it up, I go, you know what? Let's do that. And so guess what? There it is. And you know what? I, there's nothing magical. That's just wood from Lowe's. There's nothing special about that corner, but it's a place that we're going to make because we believe it's important that we have prayer in our life and it's important that our prayer have a place to happen if it needs to happen in a place where we can be alone. So there it is. Prayer partners are always going to be available at the end of our service. If you just need to spend some time, you're welcome to come here. You're welcome to pray wherever you're at. But if this will be a spot you want to be, come. if you wanted to pray with you, ask them if you want them to pray with you go you know what no 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 I need them elders now well guess what we're already here let's get it on let's go we'll be here this is a place that we're just going to decide you know what that's going to be our special place not magical but it is a place that we can utilize when we need it because we need it father we thank you for the day we thank you for your love we thank you for your word We thank you for Jesus who died in our place and for our sin. We thank you that you raised him on the third day, proving that his sacrifice was accepted and sufficient for those of us who are broken and dead in sin. God, we're thankful that uh, that his death and resurrection provide entrance into a relationship with you by faith. Not of works, not anything I can do, not any any uh, sacraments that I can be a part, just simple childlike faith believing that he died for me, that he rose and he's alive. I pray that you'll draw men and women today. If they came here today and they don't know Jesus as Savior, help them to recognize that the the prayer that they need to be focusing in on is that one of confession, knowing who they are and what they are, knowing what they need and knowing that Jesus has provided it. Father, I pray if there's those that are not yet followers of Jesus by faith, that they'll not leave before they have an opportunity to come grab you by the hand or, or any of these folks that have been around the stage and, and let us walk with them through the scripture, show them what you've said about how their sin has been paid for god i pray that you will meet us where we're at you know our hearts you know our lack of prayer and i pray that you will encourage us that you will draw us gently to a place where we just want to be with you when it hurts and even when it doesn't strengthen us encourage us use us for your glory we love you and we thank you for us. So Jesus' name we pray. everybody said, Amen.